Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. I'm Brian Moran, CEO of Small Business Edge, and I want to welcome you to the last week of our special bootcamp series of podcasts for women and minority business owners. So all of the content this week, the blog post, today's podcast, which I'm very excited about, uh, our small business spotlight, and the Q&A that we do on Friday will all focus on the financial aspects of running a business. Our guest on today's podcast is Dalip Rao. He is a financier, a professor, so he's taught entrepreneurship at University of Minnesota and Florida International. I know he's also taught at Harvard, Stanford, as well as several leading universities in Europe. Uh, Dalip consults with corporations and governments on new business development opportunities in low-income areas. Uh, He's an entrepreneurship blogger on Forbes.com, an author of many books, including The Truth About VC, and his latest book, which is in, which is Finance Secrets of Billion Dollar Entrepreneurs. Wow, that's a lot. I feel tired already, and I just all I had to do was read it. Uh, with that, I want to welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, Dalip Rao. Hello, Dalip. Hi, how are you doing, Brian? Uh, Dalip, uh, apparently I'm doing very well. It's uh, you know the uh, getting towards the end of 2020, and uh, I'm still here. And uh, I am really looking forward to all of the great opportunities that 2021 will bring. How are you doing? Same here. Can't wait, especially getting rid of this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny, just a little side conversation we can have. I honestly think that this pandemic, and and it's obviously there's a lot of tragedy that's involved in it. So not to overlook that, but I'm, I'm looking at some of the silver linings that have come out of this pandemic. Certainly our appreciation of things that we took for granted, um, gathering with friends and family, people that you love, being able to, you know, enjoy going to a ball game or a movie, stuff like that. What do you think? Do you think that people will have a newfound appreciation once we're back doing the things that we used to do? I think all of us will have more appreciation for our friends and family. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to hug my children. Uh, yeah. And that is the first thing I'm going to do. Yeah, but, I, uh, but think about something. If this had happened in 95, uh, the whole world would have been screwed. So yeah. if you want to look at silver linings, to me, that's the biggest silver lining. We have the technology. Unfortunately, it has created the haves and the have-nots. About half are. the country has actually done as well or better. The other half has been screwed. Uh, we need to figure out a way to equalize. You are 100% right. In fact, the last week on our business boot camp was technology week. And that's exactly what we talked about, the haves and the have-nots. How and, and to your point, 25 years ago, there was no video conferencing, right? The, the internet was in its infancy uh, from a commercial perspective. We're still dealing with uh, dial up, right? The mm-hmm. have and have nots were the difference between 14.4K and 28K on your dial up modem. Exactly. But uh, you, you, are, you are correct. I mean, technology has been a, a blessing for the haves, but it's just a, it's a stark reminder of the tens of millions of people uh, 
in our country who um, aren't able to do the things that you and I probably enjoy because we have access to this type of technology. And, and we can thank that this country came up with nearly every one of those technologies based on science. Yep. So let's go from there. Yeah, I, and you're right. You're, you, you know what? So hopefully what we'll learn from this is that, uh, that we need to take care of the weakest part of our society, right? A chain mm-hmm. is only as strong as its weakest link. Exactly. And so I think that you are, I, I love that. And, and uh, you know what? I could probably spend half hour just talking to you about that. But we, we have a have two podcasts, Brian. Yeah, right. So I'm having you back and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the, the chain and it's really the fabric of our country, right? Mm-hmm. How strong is the fabric, you know? And, and exactly. you know, I like to say a parent is only as happy as their unhappiest child. And I you think know, this country is the greatest experiment that humankind has known in terms of allowing everybody from every rung of the ladder to reach the top. Mm -hmm. I know we have problems, but I've lived in other countries. There is none like this. I wish we do do not screw it up. All right. We're both going to run for office. (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anybody who knows me knows that that would be the last thing that I would do. But we don't need to run for office to be able to make change. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, the the university that I went to, uh, they love to say, be the difference that you want to see in the world. Right, we Mahatma can talk about some of the things I'm doing to do it. So, Okay, well, let's get into it. So here's the thing, Talib. I know you, and my first question is, at any given moment, I know that you're working on eight to 10 different projects. So let's talk about what's on your agenda this week. What, what, what have you been working on? Well, actually, only five. Uh-huh. Okay, you're slowing down. <laughs> well, I'm getting old. You know, you can see the gray hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first is I'm launching Finance Secrets, and that has taken a lot of time and effort. And uh, it's been about eight months and postponed because of the pandemic. But it just launched two weeks ago and uh, is doing well so far. Uh, the next book that I'm working on is uh, How Do America's uh, Most Successful Entrepreneurs with Names and Case Studies, how did they really get started? Not the venture capital version of as soon as the VCs came, they succeeded, but the real life version from the entrepreneurial perspective of how they took off. And that book is done. I'm waiting for some editing. Uh, The third is um, starting something called the Unicorn Entrepreneurship Institute. And this is essentially based on a a program I had in Florida and taught some in Indiana, Indiana. But it basically shows entrepreneurs at every rung of the ladder how to grow without venture capital. What are the skills and strategies they need? And this is my next baby. I'm speaking around the world to point out to incubators, business schools, developers, that they can develop 99 times more unicorns with the unicorn method than with the venture capital method. And I'm writing my blog on Forbes, which everyone should read if they want a real view of entrepreneurship rather than the venture capital view. Those are the five. I, I love it. And there's a theme there. There's a theme. So you are a former venture capitalist, right? And now you write books on how not to take venture capital money. Why the change of heart or, or philosophy for that matter? 
Well, it wasn't a change of heart so much as an expansion of my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, near the end of my financing career, I uh, started consulting with the Department of Health and Human Services. And I went to some of the poorest country, parts of this country. And there's terrific poverty in this country. So let's not give aid to other countries before we help ourselves. Uh, and I was working with CDCs. And these people had money from the government, but the companies are failing. And so I was looking at this and I said, why are they failing? And having run five turnarounds, that's one of the reasons why I was sent. Uh, they were failing because they did not have the skills. I kind of assumed that everybody had the skills because I was blessed that I could go to school and learn them uh, and practice them. Uh, so I essentially quit this uh, because I got frustrated and became an academic to start to understand what skills should I teach? So to do that, instead of just going with my instinct, like many people in the entrepreneurship world today, uh, they basically come up with these seven rules of success based on whatever it is that they've thought about that yeah. matter. Yeah. Uh, I said, let me talk to some of the greatest entrepreneurs in the country. So I started with billion dollar entrepreneurs and hundred million dollar entrepreneurs. Then I, and I wrote a book called uh, Bootstrap to Billions right. 10 years ago. And then I expanded this around the country and interviewed and analyzed billion dollar entrepreneurs from around the country uh, and some hundred million dollar entrepreneurs. And I found out that only 1% succeeded because of the idea and venture capital. 1%, 99% succeeded because of their skills. Now 5% succeeded, uh, got venture capital after they proved their strategy. They took off. Steve Jobs belongs, belongs in this category, then got venture capital. 18% got venture capital after they proved their strategy and their personal unicorn leadership skills. Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Brian Chesky. Uh, 76% never, never, never use venture capital. I was staggered. I said, wait a minute, how did they do this without venture capital? So I did a deep dive into it. And that's basically what I'm doing now with these books. I'm teaching people, how did they do it? And uh, so essentially, I knew I was onto a new way to grow ventures. And that was my aha. And uh, these are the common secrets. So basically, it's really a shifting. Uh, I'm not anti-VC, but I'm pointing out the limitations. And it comes across as anti-VC because they like to talk as if they, like to, they can walk on water and uh, identify every brilliant venture. Mm-hmm. when they fail 80% of the time and only 1% is a home run. I think candor and honesty might do better for them and for venture capital because we can build more deals, more unicorns that they can fund. Because what's happening now is that VC is going into women and minority entrepreneurs, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and they want to screw up. It's as if every generation has to find its own way to screw up. And that's what they're doing. So the book, your book, the, the latest book you have, Finance Secrets of Billion Dollar Entrepreneurs, so the unique kind of aspects of the book is that the overwhelming majority of these very, very successful entrepreneurs is that, it sounds like, is that they didn't take VC money, right? That they grew their businesses. If they did take it, it was well after they were established and it got to the point where they needed a huge capital infusion to take their businesses to the next level. Exactly. And that was the key. I studied billion dollar entrepreneurs. These are the creme de la creme, the best. So I basically said, if I'm going to learn golf, I'm going to learn from Tiger Woods. 
if I'm going to learn how to do entrepreneurship, I'm going to learn from the greatest this country has produced. And we have produced a lot of great entrepreneurs. Yeah. And essentially, you're exactly right. 99%, as I said, took off without venture capital. After they took off, a, a few of them, 23% of them got venture capital. Right. 76% didn't. So exactly how did they do it? That's exactly the point. And, and, and I remember hearing you say years ago, you talked about, you know, uh, the cost of venture capital, early stage, middle stage, late stage, and the fact that you give up so much more uh, in, in the early stages of your business, right? Obviously, it's the risk reward ratio. Mm-hmm. But uh, talk a little bit about that, right? Where uh, I know you have a lot of examples of, of people who gave up way too much equity and control when they took venture capital early on. And is that just true for venture capital or is that true for any kind of outside infusion of capital? Well, it can be for venture capital. I've seen some angel capital act the same way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some angels have basically taken over control of ventures and uh, uh, not been very kind to, some would say, screwed the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know if one deal where the entrepreneur got 150,000, the angel investor got 140 million. So you want to know really screwed? That was one. Uh, And both of them have their own version of the truth. So I'm not going to go into who's right and who's who's wrong. Right, right. But the cost of venture capital very early is huge, not just in the dilution, but also in the loss of control. So I basically uh, joke around saying that there are four stages to venture financing. The first is the B.B. King stage, where nobody loves you but your mama, and she can be <laughs> driving too, okay? All right. Uh, the second is a finance smart stage, where you can get alternative capital, you can get alternative financing, you can rearrange your business strategy, rearrange your uh, operation strategy in order to grow more with less. But that requires skills, which is what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. and, right, and the smart strategies. Right. Then you have the VC with your exit stage, where the VCs will fund you only if you exit stage left. So they love, love your venture, but they don't love you. Right. Uh, you must be uh, basically stinking. Uh, and then the fourth stage is the VCs kiss my ring stage. And this is where the VCs come, shower you with money, allow you to do whatever it is you want to do. Mark Zuckerberg was one of these where he basically told the VCs, you can only come into this venture if you allow me the proxies to vote your shares. And so he kept 58% voting rights. Uh, Google had a similar arrangement where they con- those two guys, Page and Brin, controlled the venture. Mm-hmm. So in essence, if you can build your venture to that stage where people can see growth potential, unicorn potential, VCs will come and fund you, but it's only before then that they say, we want to control it and kick you out. Right, right. That buyout, that third stage was that, you know, here's $10 million. It's not a buyout. Yeah. It's basically the dilute you. Yeah. You still yeah. keep your shares, but you keep so small a percentage of the company that by the time there's an exit, you don't keep much. Right, right. So it's obviously, it's, it's very, very important. To I always say giving up equity is like getting married. You know, you better pick the right partner or partners in your in your business because even even though it looks like somebody might own just a little bit of your company, depending on what their voting rights are or any kind of stipulations and milestones, 
if you miss them, right, re- control can revert to the the investors. Exactly. And, and that's and that, why it takes hard work. Yeah. You know, it, it might be simple to go to one person and say, give me the money and get the money and give them all the controlling rights. But they can screw you. They can kick you out. Absolutely. If, on the other hand, you spend the time and the effort to know, hey, there are different financing sources, and we can go into that if you want. Which of these is right for me at which stage? How do I raise money? How do I make sure I stay in control? That is a fundamental crux of the whole thing. Read your agreements if you're going to raise money. If the agreement says under any circumstances that control can revert to the investor, get the hell out of there. Right. And stay in control. Why? Because you would be spending a lot of time and effort on that venture. And most of us are not brilliant enough to get two unicorn ideas. I'm still waiting for mine. I'm waiting for my first one. I'll take a a pony at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So the point is, if you want to succeed, make sure you stay in control of that in order to justify the effort and the sweat you're going to pour into it. Right. And I think people get too enamored with the idea, you know, where they have a good idea and all of a sudden venture capitalists start giving them some attention. And the whole idea that you're talking to these powerful and popular VCs who have a resume full of uh, successfully funded ventures, and now they're paying attention to you, it's, you know, it, it can be deceiving. But the, 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 the Boot camp that we're focused on is on women and minority business owners. So I want to pivot just a little bit to talk about them because they have historically struggled when it comes to raising money. And I, I believe there's a, several studies out there that show that over 95% of venture capital money goes to white male firms and white male companies. Why is that? Well, you know, this is something that uh, we can argue about. And uh, I have, yeah, I'll listen to you. I'm sure you're smarter than me. And there's, well, my, my point is that what I have seen, I got into venture capital when maybe I was the only Indian venture capitalist in the country. Okay. And uh, uh, I couldn't find either Indian entrepreneurs or Indian venture capitalists in Minnesota, Wisconsin, where I was uh, working. Uh, but if you look at over the years, it's changed. There were many Indian VCs, many Chinese VCs. But that's because Indians and Chinese proved that they could build ventures. Right. And uh, uh, I think even white men from Harvard don't get VC until uh, until AHA. Even they have to prove AHA. Bill Gates didn't get it. Mark Zuckerberg didn't get it until after AHA. But it's easier for them after AHA. That much I agree. Right. Uh, So the question is, how can everybody get to AHA without venture capital? That's what's covered in the books. And that's what's key the right skills. And I'll, I can give you an example if, if you want about, sure. about that. There's a guy called Harold, Harold Reutenberg, and he built a company called Modern Merchandising. It was a $6 billion company. This guy was a genius. He left his father-in-law's firm because of some disagreements, and he started a catalog business where there was a retail shop and a catalog. He was selling electronics and jewelry. The way he financed it was he got 13 people around the country to be his franchisees. He basically told them, it's a one-year contract. You can leave if you want to, if I'm not honest with you. So he got 13 people to fund their stores. 
he then with those 13 went to Sony and Panasonic and all these other people mm -hmm. and got sweetheart deals, mm -hmm. great pricing. He then went to a catalog of printer and developed the catalog, went to the printer. The printer printed it without charging him anything up front. He sold the catalogs for $1 each. In his first year in business, he made $20 million wow. in profit with zero investment. Now that is smart. Okay, and that's what I mean by finding other people to fund the things. Yeah. And add it. Now, going back to uh, women and minorities, uh, I think what they need is the skills to get to AHA and the skills to get to prove that their venture needs potential. Now, this in every generation feels that they are recreating the world for the first time. You know what? There was, for anybody who thinks that, go and study something called the Minority Enterprise Small Business Investment Companies, MESBICs. There were about 160 MESBICs around the country funded mm -hmm. by the SBA. Nearly everyone except four were failing. And that's when the SBA pulled the uh, plug on them. Right. It is not that there will have been other people without better intentions. They have been. It has failed because the odds of venture capital are this. Go to my blogs. There's been a terrific study that uh, analysis that showed that about 20 venture capitalists, 20, earn 95% of VC profits. Okay? Wow. 20. Wow. Now you have to ask yourself, what the hell are the other VCs doing? Now, why is this? And I'm talking about early stage VC. Okay. Many sure. everybody calls themselves a VC, but if you invest when the venture is a billion dollars and call it a VC, uh there's some problems there. Right, right. But the, the point is, if you want to succeed in venture capital, you have to have home runs, period. Mm -hmm. Because 80% of your deals fail. The home runs have been in Silicon Valley. So what you'll find is that these 20 are all in Silicon Valley. So the problem is this, every part of the country except Silicon Valley and every part of the world has the same issue. I teach, I used to teach in Haiti. I used to teach around the world. Everybody mm -hmm. has the same issue. I teach in Latin America. How do we create those ventures and those entrepreneurs to get to AHA where we reduce the risk for the VC and show the potential? That should be what we focus on, not just throwing more money in. Otherwise, we'll have the same problems five years later. Right, right. And, and, and to your point, I think the onus is on the business owner and the entrepreneur to make sure that they have all of their ducks in a row. So, you know, obviously their financials, but then their sales pipeline and customer service and social media and technology and their employees, you know, it's like, it's like trying to sell a house, you know, that either has no furniture or has, you know, the walls need to be painted or, you know, the, the lawn hasn't been cut. You know, you look at it and you say, yeah, but look at the potential. And you and it forces the buyer to kind of envision what this may look like. But if you cut the lawn, if you paint the walls, if you get new furniture in the house, it's it's less of a leap of faith on the buyer's end to see the potential of the house. And the same thing applies for your business. So when you go and ask somebody to invest in your company, whether it's an angel or friends and family, or you go to banks like uh, 
Wheeler Financial, who we've done a lot of work with. Um, you know, you have to present your case in such a way that it's almost like an an, uh, an obvious assumption. You know, what what, what it's it, it's called a certain kind of close, the assumptive close. Like, of course, if I have A, B, and C, you will add D to the equation. So I have you know a great product. I have a fantastic team. I have a pipeline of opportunity. And now all I need is the funding to make everything happen. And here's the deal. If you don't give it to me, somebody else will, and then they'll get the credit for being part of a great story. So so when you have A, B, and C in place, today there are so many options, right? I mean, delete, when you think about it, you have your traditional banks, you have your fintechs, you have your peer-to-peer and crowdfunding, you have venture, you have angel, you have private equity. Right. I mean, you you have I like to tell people, go to your buyers. If your buyers are companies and you're in a B2B world, go to your buyers and offer them discounted rates. You know, say, look, you're going to buy $150,000 worth of product for me this year. I'll give you a 10% discount if you pay me in January. So that's so it's $135,000 for $150,000 worth of product. And that will give me the capital that I need to do everything that I want to do this year. So to your point, right? I mean, if people are smart and and they've got their business in in you know all in alignment, then then that that adding that financial component to the business shouldn't be as hard as everybody makes it out to be. Am I right or am I being naive? Well, if I might make a suggestion, Brian, and don't take it the wrong way, <laughs> I'm at the age where if your questions are too long, I forget what you said earlier. <laughs> oh, so, no, no, so no. When you interview someone with gray hair, make right. sure you keep your questions short. <laughs> okay, so I've forgotten most of what you said before the last sentence. I love it. I love it. Here's what I'm saying, Delete. If I've got my house in order, if I've got great products, great service, great employee team. Okay, can I interrupt there? Yeah. Okay. First of all, you're talking about stage. What stage of the venture are you at? If you are a startup, which means zero sales, you have an idea. Okay. I don't give a damn how great your idea is. Unless you've cured cancer, you're not going to get venture capital. Well, venture is only one element, right? No, I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. So, so the point is you have to, at that stage, find alternate financing. Correct. That's what and the alternate financing is first your friends and family. Right. They're the only ones who really care about you. Okay. And if your friends and family won't fund you, you have to ask yourself, what sins have I done in your previous life that they won't fund you? Uh, <laughs> right. As a Hindu, that's how I think. Sure. Uh, but... Uh, but your friends and family. Now, many of you might say, well, you know, I come from a poor family. We have, I ran a micro fund. And I would make those entrepreneurs go and even get $100 from their friends and family. Mm-hmm. And nobody's going to tell me in this country that nobody can come up with 100 bucks. Okay? 100 bucks, 200 bucks, something. And then you match them. And then you show what the entrepreneur can do. So what is the stage? Have you had any sales? I see so many entrepreneurs come with 
ideas. Mm-hmm. And so I came up with a, my own idea. I'm going to start a chain of Norwegian taco stores. And I'm looking for investors. If you want to know what a Nor- Norwegian taco is, I'll tell you that at some point. Okay. You know, ideas are a dime a dozen. I get 10 ideas every day, all 10 of them crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the point is, do you have any proof it works? Do you have any sales? Now, you might say, how do I get from A to B? There are many sources, but not venture capital. Right. You have friends and family. You have alliances. You said, go and give a discount. As a former VC, I would say, if you have to give a discount to get sales, your product can't be that good. So let me let me interrupt there, because I'm not saying give a discount to get sales. So and and you're correct in that everything is in stages. So, you know, the pre-sale stage, proving the concept. And then when you get to the concept, proving sustainability that you can operate independently without outside investment. And then there's growth. When I said talk, you know, talk to you, or if you're in a B2B world, talk to people who are already buying from you. So that's the second or third stage where people are already buying you, you have an established product, but now you're interested in growth, saying to a company, look, you last year you spent $150,000 with me. If you spend that same $150,000 with me and pay me up front, I will give you a 10% discount. And, and to be open and transparent with you, I'm going to use that money to grow my business. Okay, let, let me stop you right there because I'm going to forget what you said earlier. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, so let me address that with three examples. Okay. Uh, fantastic examples. One is Sam Walton. Okay, we funded Sam Walton. We funded Walmart when he was rampaging through the country. And we funded three of his stores. This guy was a damn genius because for every store, Somebody funded the real estate. Somebody else funded the equipment. Somebody else funded the uh, the inventory was uh, basically given to him with extended terms. Mm-hmm. All he had to do, all he had to do was to come in and run the business and make money. And he showed a profit within three to six months on every new store. Wow. Okay. He had cash flow. Dick Schultz, who I interviewed, showed cash flow from the first week doing the same formula. His suppliers gave him money, 60-day terms. Why? Because he knew how to turn his inventory over. He didn't have to give a discount. His suppliers funded him because they could see growth and they could see he could become a great company. They wanted to fund him. Michael Bloomberg didn't give a discount. He got funding from Merrill Lynch. He gave them a piece of the action. He got alliance capital. He gave them equity. But he charged him the same fee he charged everybody else. Okay. Okay. So, so there are many examples on this. Michael Dell, he made customers pay up early. Right. So you can adjust your business strategy. You can adjust your business model. You can adjust your financial model. There are many things that where you can do this in order to grow without having to cut your margins and your profitability. Right. But also on the flip side, not give up equity. So Bloomberg gave up equity to Merrill Lynch and Alliance Capital. I feel like equity is a lot like marriage. You know, you be careful about who you get married to in business. So my personal philosophy is I'd rather take on debt or give a discount than give up equity. Well, then go with the Sam Walton model, go with the Dick Schultz model, go with Neera Jane. I'm sure you don't know who Neera Jane is, but I'm sure you know his company, Wayfair. Oh, yeah. The way he's grown has been tremendous. Right, Another entrepreneur who we lost recently, Tony Shea, 
who mm-hmm. builds Zappos. Same thing. His suppliers uh, gave him credit. He right. got cash up front. His suppliers gave him credit. He lived on the suppliers' credit. So there so, are many ways to skin the cat. I hope that's exactly what I was going to say. And, and, and so you and I are very much in alignment that there's no one way to raise money or to get money to grow your business and achieve your goals. The fact so is- how, Why haven't we solved the world's problems? Why? I don't know. You hey. said you and I are in alignment, so why haven't yeah, we Yeah, we're getting to that. Well, that's going to be our next podcast. Okay. But- but um, so this this is great because that was actually you answered my, my next question was going to be what's the best way for entrepreneurs and business owners to raise funds and and more importantly the best way for women and minority businesses to raise funds and I think you answered it by saying that there's no one correct way that the key is this the key is this if people can see you can sell at a good margin and a good profit okay. Mm-hmm. There are many sources. You can get money from friends and family. You can bootstrap. You can get strategic funding. You can get alliance funding. You can get business chains, uh, chain funding. You can get cash flow financing like Walton. You can get angel financing. You can get lessors. You can get revolving loans. You can get government financing. Tons of different sources if you can show that you can succeed. But if you go with your handout and say, I have an idea for a Norwegian taco chain, they're going to say, join the line. Yeah. Yeah. So to your point, it really, you have to do a little self-reflecting and see what stage am I at in the game? No, you don't have to do self-reflecting. You have to get skills. <laughs> All right. Okay? But you have to know what stage of the business you're in. Yes. Well, that is the simplest thing you can do. Right. If you don't have sales, you're at the startup stage. Right. If you have sales and negative cash flow, you need to figure out how to change the negative cash flow to positive because the only ones who can succeed with negative cash flow are the Silicon Valley boys. Right. Who can get venture capital. Nobody else can survive with that. Right. Once you get to the sales and positive cash flow, then you have to figure out how do I replicate this so I can grow, grow, grow. Make it sustainable. Make exactly. it sustainable. Two stages. That's it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 at any given point, if you need money, whether it's debt or equity, you have to be able to show that here's how I'm going to here's how I'm going to use the money in my business, and here's how I'm going to continue my growth and my profitability. Uh, if I might go back one minute, because I think uh, I can. When you pointed out uh, giving up equity and like marriage and so forth, uh, you can have affairs too. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, but, but the difference is this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Bloomberg needed credibility also. He needed equity. He needed credibility. Great point. Having Merrill Lynch on his investor committee gave him credibility with everybody else. Right. Dick Schultz and Sam Walton did not need credibility because they were selling to consumers. So who your market is has a huge influence on how you raise money. Great, great point. Strategic investors to be able to say, here are my, here's my list of investors that have already put money into my company. And mm-hmm. you'd look at it and yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic point. So duly noted. All right, we're in the home stretch, which is amazing because I want to replay this over and over again because I've learned so much from you today. Um, but if you're if you 
we're sitting down with a group of women and minority business owners today, and, and they're looking to raise money in 2021. Now, this has kind of been a unique year, obviously, with, with COVID and with um, every, everything that has happened. Um, but we're going into 2021. What would you tell women and minority business owners who are looking to raise money? Well, you know, on the one hand, this might be a lousy time. On the other hand, uh, lousy times like this create more unicorns than nearly any other time. And you will see, mark my words, in five years, there'll be more unicorns that were created today mm -hmm. than at any other time because it creates opportunities. You can all, already see it in the public markets with Teladoc and Zoom and things like that. Uh, today, we'll start another chain of unicorns. So uh, stop worrying and start to look at your opportunity. First thing is don't think small. I can't stand the term small business. I wish somebody would take the SBA and shoot the small out of it, okay? <laughs> because I don't know a single entrepreneur when I ask them, uh, would, uh, would you like to make another 100,000 in profits? Everybody says, yes. Then Maria says, why are you thinking small? It takes the same amount of effort. I work 18 to 20 hours a day. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, if you're going to be a small business, put the 18 hours a day and become a big business, get the skills. That's the first point. Understand what skills you need at the stage you're at and learn how to use those skills in order to succeed. Because if you don't have the skills, some, some are gifted naturally. Some entrepreneurs get that gift naturally, but there are three skills to start your venture and you better get those and three skills to take off. Uh, find the right trend for you. I can't name a single major unicorn entrepreneur who did not succeed on a trend. Mm -hmm. Because there are only three ways to grow. You can either acquire, but your dad better be Bill Gates right. uh, to get the money or be an investment banker. Uh, two, take market share from somebody. Or three, grow on a trend. One, you have to be blessed to be in Harvard and the Wall Street or Bill Gates as your parent. Two, uh, Taking market share is one of the toughest things there is, which means that essentially you get into price cutting, which I can't stand. Right. Uh, and three, get on the right trend. And I can give you lots of examples of that. Four, show how you're making money, not promises. I've had promises for the last 40 years. What I want to see are making money and at least sales. Can you sell? And fourth, Learn smart strategies. For all the things I said, this is the easiest. And I'm teaching this right now. That's what the Unicorn Entrepreneurship Institute teaches. We teach it, or teach it over three or four days. One, the opportunity to grow without venture capital. What I did was I looked at these 122 and said, what are the common factors, common, common strategies they had? Mm -hmm. Okay, not where it's a sample size of one. This is a sample size of 100 to 122 of the greatest entrepreneurs of this country. Mm -hmm. What's, how do you find an opportunity to grow without venture capital? What's a strategy to win without venture capital? It is not about the idea. It's about how you're going to beat your competition. And please don't come to me and say, I have no competition. That's the most stupid thing any entrepreneur has ever said. Right, right. Everybody has competition. If you sure. don't have competition, you have to create the need, which is even tougher. Three, finance to control without venture capital. Because once you lose control of your venture, you are screwed. And right. that is not a financial term, but uh, I'll use it. <laughs> Fourth, learn to launch without venture capital. This is where you need the other three skills. This is like taking off 
with a plane in real time with a mm -hmm. limited runway. Don't go to a, an investor and say, I just screwed a uh, million dollars, but I need another 500,000. Not many people are sympathetic to that because they know you wasted a million. Right. So those are the key things I would tell women and minority business owners because the world is looking at you now and learning and trying to see how to help. But there are many women and minority business owners. They're all going to compete. If right. you want to stand out and succeed, getting money is not the solution. Success is a solution. And that's where all of these people miss the boat. They think VC will add the, no, skills add the uh, unplugged hole. So that's right. I love it. I love it. It's uh, Delete, it's been a fantastic podcast. I think you gave such great advice. We're going to write everything down. We're going to put it in the resource section of the podcast page so people can access it. I'll have ways that people can get in touch with you uh, on social media. But if there's, is, is there any way, like what's the best way that somebody can get in touch with you if they wanted to ask you questions or talk to you more? Well, best way I think is to go to my website, uh, deleeproud.com. Okay. Uh, and it's spelled D-I-L-E-E-P-R-A-O.com. Right. Uh, and there, there's a way, well, one is there's a way for them to communicate with me from there. Uh, and uh, I get a number of people who are scam artists, but I get uh, all the good people too. Right. And then they can also see the stuff I'm doing, the books, and I'm starting the Institute online to teach people how to uh, learn the strategies of these entrepreneurs over a 14-week session. So, uh, so they can see all of that. I'll make sure everything gets listed. And of course, your, your new book, uh, Finance Secrets of Billion Dollar Entrepreneurs, that's, that's out right now, right? Yes. Okay. And it's a great book and everybody should read it. Well, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, we're going to buy 10 copies of your book. And uh, for everybody who's listening, um, send me a note, brian at smallbusinessedge.com. Tell me you listen to the podcast that I just did with Delete. Tell me what was your favorite or most relevant takeaway. And uh, we will uh, randomly select 10 people and you'll receive a copy of Delete's new book, Finance Secrets of Billion Dollar Entrepreneurs. How about that? Well, I thank you for that. Yeah. And, uh, for the audience, please excuse the use of, uh, when I use the word screwed or crap. Uh, <laughs> people have used much away. worse. Trust me. People have said much worse. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dilip, thanks for your time today. Uh, My pleasure. Thank it, you, Brian. It really has been fantastic. I'd love to have you back on uh, our podcast on a regular basis. You're definitely one of our finance subject matter experts, and I think you bring a wealth of knowledge and wisdom that can help our listeners. So Thank you. Thank you and we should talk about how to solve the world's problems. Why don't we make that our next podcast? Okay. Deal. Will do. Uh, I want to thank our listeners, too, for your feedback and your questions. It really is fantastic. I love the dialogue that we have, um, and, and I, I really do appreciate it, and I know my guests do as well. I also want to thank in our boot camp, we had some weekly sponsors, so Pitney Bowes, SemPro Online, and Oracle NetSuite. Thank you very much for your continuous support of small business owners, passionate business owners, and entrepreneurs. I want to wish everybody a safe and healthy holiday, please. 
Make sure you take care of yourself and, of course, a very prosperous new year. And I look forward to continuing the conversation in 2021. Thanks, everybody. And I hope you have a great day. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.